0: Hey, city gates. It's Corey here. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our series in First Peter. But before we begin, I actually just wanted to give a shout out to those who got baptized today. Uh, huge congratulations to them. It's a it's a great step in declaring your faith publicly. Um, for those who don't know what baptism is, it's much like a wedding ring is to a marriage. You know, that time where we stand up and publicly decree um, our love for something, and in, in this case, it's for Christ and will follow him. And so just wanted to mention that. Congrats to everyone there. I'm gonna start off with a story here. We're gonna take it back to kind of high school, Corey. And um, I had moved from Stouffville to Uxbridge in kind of grade eight. And, and once I got into high school, um, my friend group was still growing. because so I was still getting to know everyone in town. And uh, I got invited to this get-together uh, by a guy that was quite popular in our high school. And it was just gonna be you know him and a few buddies uh, who were also quite popular at the time. So yeah, I jumped at the opportunity. I, I thought these guys were real cool. I wanted to get to know them better. So my mom and I hopped in the car and we drove out to the country, uh, out to his place and she dropped me off. And about after two minutes of you know walking in the door, Uh, it kind of became evident that um, I might be in over my head. See, I was the only Christian at this small get-together. And while I was no stranger to drugs or alcohol being around at certain parties, generally when we went to these big parties, they were big houses, big properties. And if you simply weren't into drugs and alcohol, you just didn't have to be in that corner of the property. This time it was a little different though because not only were, you know, drugs and alcohol present, they, they were the main event. And so I was left with a choice. You know, a little high school Christian Corey was left with a choice of whether to stand up for my faith and rock the boat, you know, when they inevitably asked me to join on in or take the path of least resistance and just join on in. I know standing up for my faith would probably have costed me some ridicule in the hallway and who knows how it would have affected my social standing. That's just what I had on my brain. And so I created a third option, <laughs> option C. And I uh, pretended my phone rang and I ran to the bathroom And I called my mom and I said, Hey mom, I'm way, I'm in over my head. You need to come pick me up, please. And when I left the bathroom, she, she agreed. She said, no problem. You know, I'll I'll come back and pick you up. And when I came out, I told everyone that my grandmother was in the hospital. I lied to everyone and, you know, God bless them. They all were very concerned for my grandmother uh, who was, fine at the time but uh, they didn't know that and they said yeah dude just you know if you need to just wait for your mom out on the driveway go ahead you know hope she's okay and looking back it it just it seems to me that we will go to great lengths to fit in somewhere and we don't like to rock the boat if it's going to cost us something and so I want to read us uh through 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6, uh, because it has a little bit to do with this. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to be reading this whole 1 to 6, and then we're going to be jumping all over, so uh, you'll have to kind of follow me through the themes of this, but I'll, I'll do my best here. So it says, Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, Peter is writing this to a bunch of exiles, right? That are heavily outnumbered, much like I was in my circumstance they had a ton of people around them and they were living sexually free hedonistic they were drinking they were they were doing what they wanted to do they were living for the, their passions this is even how peter says it and it's quite easy to live that way because i mean these passions are just in us and we just can react and follow them and it's very easy to live for these passions when everyone else is doing it but peter is writing to the select few who you know are 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 being tempted you know how how do we live and peter in verse 3 says for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do he's saying hey guys enough is enough no one called to jesus should be thinking hey i just need a little bit more time to sin I need a little bit more time to kind of indulge the way the rest of the culture does He urges them to go against the grain, to rock the boat. But Peter rightly knows that this is, it's not just as good as, you know, stopping drinking or stopping sex because those are simply fruits of the problem. Uh, My own father struggled with uh, alcohol before he met Jesus. And it's, you know, not good enough just to stop drinking because that deals with the fruit of the root of the problem, right? The root of that problem would be an addictive personality. And someone who stops drinking one day just for the sake of it, I mean, that root, that addictive personality may may just crop up as gambling the next day. Well, Peter is saying, hey guys, we have a passion problem. We have a root problem. And what we need to do is address the root We need to redirect that passion to something better. So Peter tells us we need to redirect this passion to the will of God. That's the proposed solution here. He says, hey, we need to take on an eternal mindset and go for the will of God. And when I say the will of God, this might kind of seem like a big, broad concept, so I'll just break it down. But the will of God is simply this. It's the desire of God's heart for us right? He wants to be glorified, rightly so, in everything that we do. You know, we are supposed to live as living sacrifices. Uh, he wants that, the fruits of the Spirit to, to well up inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all, the, all that kind of stuff. But Jesus summed it up really well when he said, hey guys, the will of God is that you love him and you love others. And so when we talk about the will of God, that's what we're speaking to, And Peter says, hey guys, here's where we find suffering. In verse four, he says, with respect to this, us kind of changing our passions to the will of God, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So Peter's giving us the heads up. Not only are they gonna be surprised when you don't join them in some of this stuff, but you'll actually be hated in a lot of circumstances. And let's pause again and define suffering because suffering uh, it covers a, a large spectrum of things, right? It can cover the small, stubbing your toe, scraping your knee, to larger things like cancer and um, loss of relationship, you know, death, anything surrounding that. Suffering is a large topic. But what Peter is talking about here is the suffering that comes when bad things happen specifically. When we choose God over another situation, we choose to rock the boat. And I want to read this verse because it, it may have seemed confusing at first when, you know, in verse one, he talks about um, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Don't get it twisted here. Suffering is not our Savior, it's not that we suffer and it removes us from sin. He's talking about it being a great indicator that this change has happened in our lives. These passions have changed from the world to the will of God. And he's saying, get ready, because that suffering is gonna take place. He's preparing us. He's saying, arm yourself, right? And suffering marks that the Savior reigns where sin once dwelt. I'll say that again. Suffering... Marks that the Savior reigns, Jesus reigns, where sin once dwelt. Right? He says, arm yourself with this way of thinking. Not with a catchy, you know, comeback or a witty catchphrase, um, but with a mindset of suffering. And here's the here's the tough go, here's the tough part, the rub, is that we have to convince ourselves that this switch is worth it. Because with that switch comes suffering. So we have to convince ourselves that the promises of God are better than the promises of this world. And so let's dive into that, right? Why make the switch? Because God's promises are not empty promises. All right, let's take a look at the world's promises. You know, Peter gives us a great list in in verse three, and we're gonna take a look at some of them. I mean, let's look at the sensuality. Let's look at porn and adultery, right? Cheating. It has the promise of fulfillment, the rush of adrenaline. It feels good at the time. But it leaves you with a lot of shame, a lot of regret, broken relationships. No one is satisfied with the aftermath. And you hide secrets and you waste hours for a passionate fling. Drunkenness, right? The promise of taking the edge off or having a fun time. We all know plenty of uh, you know events that have transpired where there's misspoken words, hurt feelings, rage, and the nasty hangover to remind you that, hey, anything you were trying to forget, well, you still gotta deal with it. You know, idolatry. This covers a huge range of topics, but, um, Will cover career and fame. You know, they have the promise of of friendship, of of wealth, of happiness. We know we, we all know plenty of celebrities and CEOs who deal with depression even though they have everything. You know, tired of putting up a fake front uh, leaves people feeling empty, used. And while they're working so hard to achieve that, they miss a ton of key moments with family and friends. And at the end of the day, you can lose your fam, you can lose your fame, you can lose your career. And then what? But God's promises are not empty promises. And all we have to do is take a look back at the promises that have come to fruition to understand that he is a guy that is good. He is a God that is good on his promises. Right, when he said, hey, Noah, it's gonna rain. You might wanna build a huge ship. Noah did so, and it rained, and his family was saved. Right, when he promised Abraham a son, when Abraham was like plus 100, and he also promised that his descendants would have the land of Canaan, and guess what? Abraham's wife, Sarah, at the ripe old age of 90, had Isaac. And eventually, Abraham's descendants would go on to inherit the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. But probably one of the best promises here, hands down, is that God promised David that after he died, God would raise up one of his offspring to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that was Jesus. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus, the promised Messiah who came from the line of David. He keeps his promises. So when we look at promises he has for us now and in the future, right, let's just take a look at Mark 10. Right, he said, this is Jesus talking, he said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. What Jesus is saying is, I mean, he, he, he tells us, hey, persecution is going to come. And he says, hey, if you lose all of these things that are precious in life, right? Sister, mother, father, lands. He says, hey guys, you have that stuff in spades now in the family of God. Right, if I, if, I, if I lost everything, I know for a fact that I have so many brothers and sisters in Christ that would pick me up, feed me, put me up in their house, clothe me. He's like, guys, in this time, we are blessed beyond measure, but the ultimate hope being eternal life and relationship with Jesus forever. This is the eternal mindset that Peter is talking about. Right In verse six he says, "'For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does.'" Right, we would believe even though we suffer, we will be raised and vindicated at the end of time. And, and I don't want to get this, this verse wrong. Like last week, Vic was talking about a few of these verses that people mistranslate as if Jesus went into the dead and, and gave them a second shot. But that's not what this is saying. What Peter is saying, hey, guys, remember those 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 Christians who were per- persecuted, who knew the gospel, they were judged by sinful standards here and, and died for it. Guess what? They're living that hope. They're living in the spirit the way God does. And he's reminding us of that. He's encouraging us. Right now is not the end game, right? God will vindicate us later, even though we're judged by sinful standards by the rest of the world now. And knowing that suffering will come helps us, right? Knowing that suffering will come and having our eyes fixed with an eternal mindset on the hope we have helps us endure. Ryan was talking about this a few weeks ago when he preached and he used the J-curve. I have to do this right. Is that right for you guys? (laughs) The J-curve. I hope it's right for you guys, right? If we're here and we have our eyes fixed on the hope, we can endure these low moments because we know this is the end game. We know we will be vindicated. And he put it beautifully when, when he said, our ability to do hard things is connected to whether we expect any good to come out of it. So expect good to come of it. We have a hope. But Peter also gives a warning here in verse five, where he says, hey guys, if we don't change our passions, verse five says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So there's an urgency We gotta redirect. We have to put our hope fully in Jesus because everyone will be judged at the end. And those who have put their trust in Jesus, when God looks at them, he will see Jesus, not our sinfulness. But those who have not put their trust in Jesus, he will see the sin. Time is now, enough is enough, right? The invitation is open. And Jesus will and should transform your life, right? Making that mindset shift. And, we, and to look for an example of this mindset shift, right? From taking the, the passions of the world to the passions of the will of God. We have to look no further than Peter himself. This is a man who could not stand The suffering, the the thought of a a suffering um, Messiah, right? When he started his journey with Jesus. He even said, when they were talking about Jesus' suffering, he said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter was the type of guy before this mindset shift who could not even stay awake during prayer when Jesus needed him to, to pray and urged him to pray. This is a guy who jumped out with a sword and attacked and maimed a guard when Jesus was being arrested. He was passionate for the sword and he lacked self-control. And this is a guy who when Jesus was led away in chains to be arrested, people recognized him and said, hey, isn't that the guy that knows Jesus? He denied him. He denied Jesus, he denied knowing him because he was scared of what they would do to him. He was scared of going to prison, he was scared of what everyone would think. Peter was a guy who lived in abject terror after Jesus died. He was huddled with the other disciples in a room together because they were terrified of the consequences of knowing Jesus. But here's where Peter's life did a total switch. The turning point for him was when Jesus rose from the dead and came by and visited the disciples. And he took Peter and they went for a walk. And on that walk, Jesus told him he was forgiven. He gave Peter a mission, the will of God. He said, feed my sheep. And he told them he would suffer. From that point on, when things got hard, Peter was a guy who boldly proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem. When things got tough, Peter was the guy who wrote this very book about suffering. When things got tough, he was persecuted, physically beaten, ridiculed. And when things got tough eventually, Peter went on to die for his beliefs. He had, the, he had taken on that eternal mindset to live for the will of God. He shook the boat, armed with forgiveness, purpose, and suffering. So, what could this look like in our you know time and time and situation here? Because verse six, like Peter's really clear, like, hey guys, you're gonna be judged in the flesh the way people are, and the way people are is sinful. So we will be judged through a sinful lens by others. And in all honesty, for us this could look like losing friends when they confide in us, when we don't validate their lifestyle in gentleness and respect. They might say that they feel judged, you know. but what they actually hate is being challenged by the truth of Jesus Christ. This could look like not getting that promotion because you refuse to lie to a client or customer or do some underhanded things. And one day this could even look like us going to prison because our views on homosexuality or sexuality just in general are deemed as hateful, hate speech. But take heart because we have a hope in Jesus and we have blessings here on earth in spades with the family of God and we have the hope of eternity, eternity with Jesus. And so next time you have the ability to rock the boat, do it. Too often we're absolute chickens. And who does that help? To what end? There's some encouragement in Matthew, right? It says, do not fear. Do not be afraid of those that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. That's Matthew 10, 28. You know, it's not lost on me that the... uh, the phrase in the flesh is used four times in these six verses. And it just reminds me of a man uh, named Stephen who really suffered in the flesh for his faith when, um, well, a bit about Stephen. So he was one of seven men chosen to feed Grecian widows who were being overlooked when they were distributing food just because of prejudice. And eventually when he was confronted about his beliefs by a group of religious leaders, he had a choice to you know, take the path of least resistance or rock the boat. And he chose to rock the boat. He stood up for Jesus and he condemned the religious leaders for, for being so resistant to God. And you know what he got for it? The mob that was there took him outside the city walls and they stoned him to death. And you might ask, what good came from this suffering? And I would say, I don't know. But what I do know is that a mob heard the gospel that day And they knew a man named Stephen believed it enough to die for it. You know, coincidentally in that mob was a man named Saul who persecuted the church very, very roughly. But he had his own encounter with Jesus. And he went on to become the Apostle Paul who wrote like 28% of the New Testament. And he then similarly would go on to die for his belief for the gospel. Those heaping suffering on you and I today may one day turn out to do incredible things for God because God can redeem and use anyone for his purposes. And just because you can't see a point to your suffering does not mean it is pointless. And so I just want to close with this. I want to take us right back to verse one because it's what everything hinges on. Follow me here, it says, Peter's whole argument of this this mindset shift, enduring suffering, you know, taking that passion problem and and, and making it a, a living for the will of God, it hinges on verse one here. He tells us the why. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, we are to mimic our Savior and arm ourselves to live, arm ourselves with suffering so that we can live for the will of God and expect suffering will come. So today if you are stuck in your passions, if you are stuck taking that path of least resistance, if you are sick and tired of the empty promises that those things bring, then I would say turn because there is hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope of eternal life, there's hope for now, there's hope for the future. And just remember that yes, suffering will come when we make that shift, but we have a suffering Savior who endured it, just like we'll endure it, and He's not distant. He knows what it is to suffer, that is comforting. So please, if you have not put your full trust into Jesus, I would ask, talk to someone. Get involved in a small group, talk this whole thing out. Because Jesus promises to transform you and take that heart and give you a new heart with new passions for the will of God. Our hope and God's desire for you is that you would just live with this abundance of freedom that is only found in Christ Jesus. So have a great rest of your Sunday, and go in peace.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Toby, and I want to just take a few moments to commission us. And I'm just trusting that God has spoken to you through his word and through Corey. And I'm actually recording this on the Eve of step three or stage three uh, and maybe you have been keeping up and trying to follow along on the different zones and steps and stages uh, we've been through in this um, past year or so uh, others you maybe you've just been sick and tired you're like I'm, I'm kind of done with the counting and the numbers and the waiting I'm ready for the next thing well I have good news for you because the commission uh, that I feel Peter is uh, giving us today in his teachings is that the time has finished. The time has already passed for the former things. So what are those former things? It's living for human desires and worldly passions. Those That list that he gives out, he's saying the time is sufficient. It's past. It's already... It, it, there's been plenty of time. He's like, it, the time now has come to what to pursue and do the will of God. And the will of God is uh, not something simply mystical or something we have to wait for a sign in the sky. It's given to us, it was revealed to us in His Word. It's, it's right there for us. Uh, we've been spending weeks. As Peter's been teaching us to do good in the face of suffering. For some of us, that is the will of God. And and often we want to wait for, you know, uh, that sign in the sky. Or maybe it's like, let me wait till the new year to put off this thing, this bad habit, uh, this behavior that I know is dishonoring to God. The time is now to turn to Him and do the will of God. So wanna commission you and charge you, encourage you to do that. Have a great week, and uh, we will see you again, hopefully in small groups, in our community groups, and then on Sunday. Thanks.